Yes, we got over 70 kids registered already. And as I understand, a lot of those aren't from our congregation, which is fantastic, because that means there's lots of community people who are taking notice and wanting to come and engage in that. And so not only do we want you to register your own children to join along with those other kids that are here, but, but that means we need volunteers so we can definitely put our best foot forward. So if you are available for those days to volunteer, even just for probably a day or two, not even the whole week, even if you can just give us a day or so, let Kelsey know. So we can definitely uh, serve our community with excellence through this program. Well, we've been looking forward to this service for a long time. This kind of, we call it a family service, an intergenerational service, uh, community service. Uh, But what we mean by that is we wanted to have every area of service this morning, from, from the musicians to the singers to the ushers to the greeters, all the way through to be different generations coming together to share in that together. And I, I love seeing sort of the old and the young up here singing. especially love seeing Zach with some of his students playing drums back there. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> and so I really want to thank all of those who have participated in that. Uh, and, and our hope was to provide this, this practical picture of community. Now, you might be wondering, though, how in the world are we going to have a multi-generational sermon? Well, more on that in a minute. We'll come back to that in a second. First of all, I want to introduce you a little bit to the theme or to the, to the story, the passage we're looking at today. It's a familiar passage to many people. If you, if you went to Sunday school when you were little, if you grew up in the church, it's probably one that you've heard before. You may even have sang songs about in the past. Uh, I, I'm not going to sing it because that wouldn't go well. But, you know, maybe you've sang the song, Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho. Have you ever sang that one before in Sunday school? And the walls came tumbling down. Remember that one? So we're going to focus on that passage a bit today, which is a story with incredible lessons on obedience and on trusting in God. And it's a story that's got some good action in it, too. Now, before we get to that part, however, I want to provide a little bit of background to the events that lead up to our story today that's found in the book of Joshua. Now, the book of Joshua opens with the nation of Israel being camped on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. Now, why is that significant? Well, it's significant because they are on the verge of crossing over the Jordan and into the promised land. You see, they were camped there waiting because God was about to fulfill a promise that he had made to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. And they were about to have that promise realized as they crossed the Jordan and stepped foot into the promised land. Now, Joshua was a remarkable man of faith and a remarkable man of confidence in the Lord. And he had just been appointed the new leader of this nation because Moses had died at the end of the previous book. Now, Joshua's story goes all the way back to the beginning it goes back to the point when he was a little guy, he would have been a slave in Egypt. That means that he would have witnessed the plagues that took place. He would have been part of the exodus. He would have been one of the guys who walked across the, the party of the Red Sea on dry land. He was a person who was called up to be second in command under Moses. He was one who was allowed to be up on the mountain when the tablets were given. He even led the armies of Israel into battle. But in addition to that... This was not the first time that this nation had camped on this shore. You see, 40 years earlier, the nation had made it to this point as well. And when they were about to enter the promised land that time, they decided to send some spies across to look at the land and see what it was like, see if it was ripe for the taking. And Joshua was one of the men chosen to go across and spy out the land. Now, if you know that story, you know that the 12 spies came back, and only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, had confidence and faith that, yes, there are there are dangers over there, but they had confidence and faith that God would see them through. 
The other 10 were nervous and, and were scared and didn't think it would happen. And so they started this period of wandering. So this wasn't the first time that Joshua had camped on this bank, on the verge of entering into the promised land. He had been itching for this for decades, and he wasn't going to let it fail this time. So Joshua finds himself there, and he sends spies across again. He sends two spies to go check out the land, and in particular, the city of Jericho. And when they come back, those spies come back with a report that the land has been prepared by God and it is ready for them to enter into. And so the command comes for them to move out. And in the story that is reminiscent of the parting of the Red Sea, God parts the Jordan River, the nation walks across on dry land, and they now find themselves camped on the western bank of the Jordan for the first time having stepped foot into the promised land with their first challenge on the horizon the city of Jericho. And that's where our action begins today. So why don't we, instead of just talking about the story, why don't we bring those actions, why don't we bring those events to life and and act them out a little bit and sort of act out the dramatic elements? Or more accurately, how about about if we have you guys act out the dramatic elements of the story? (laughs) Don't squirm too much. (laughs) Now, to help us with this, to help us with all of us acting out the dramatic elements of the story, I want to first introduce you to our narrator for the day. The narrator of the story will be Pastor Luke as he comes and joins me. Let's welcome him up here, Pastor Luke. Thank you. You're probably going to need that microphone. Now, we also have his lovely assistant, Kelsey, who is in charge of wardrobe because, yes, there are costumes for today. And then we got Ryan. Ryan's our runner. So if you are fortunate enough to be able to join us up here on the platform, Ryan's going to help you find your way. He may even encourage you to find your way over to Kelsey, who will get you prepared to come up on the platform where Luke will instruct you on the steps to take to act out this story. So, Luke, let me hand that over to you now. Okay, before we begin a story about Joshua, I obviously need a Joshua. Let's see. I see a Tim Shepard in the back. (laughs) Who would be a great Joshua. And while I'm casting characters, I also need one with a heavenly disposition. Ryan, who might that be? An angel, we think. How about a Carol Lee? I need an angel named Carol. Why Kelsey is getting our uh, our actors ready. Don't you think these are perfect actors? Look at them. Give them a big round of applause. Look at our angel. Woo! Oh, we're even going to have wings, I guess. This is quite the uh, elaborate outfit today. Woo! Yeah. Damn, Joshua. 
Okay, Carol, come on up here. Okay, here we go. We begin our story. Our hero, Joshua, was pacing back and forth in a confounded manner, as if he was trying to solve a difficult math equation as he neared the city of Jericho, when he suddenly stubbed his toe. (laughs) Uh, Joshua looked down to see why he tripped. And when he looked up, he was taken aback by a bright light. A figure with a heavenly disposition drew near him and appeared in front of him. Not sure who it was, Joshua asked, are you my friend or enemy? Are you my friend or my enemy? (laughs) The angel replied in an authoritative voice, I am neither. I am the commander of the Lord's army. What? Oh. (laughs) I am neither. Yes, I am neither. (laughs) You are the commander of the Lord's army. You're the commander of the Lord's army. You are commander of the (laughs) Lord's army. (laughs) You are. No, the angel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Joshua was stunned. He immediately fell to his knees in reverence of the Lord. Joshua looked up and said, what does God want me to do? (laughs) What does God want me to do? (laughs) The angel replied, the first thing God wants you to do is take off those shoes you stand in a holy place. Take off those shoes you stand on holy ground. There you go. Joshua quickly took off his shoes. Then the angel leaned close to Joshua and murmured the plan that would happen using big hand gestures. (laughs) Joshua said, what, that's the plan? That's the plan? (laughs) He then picked his shoes back up and ran to camp to tell the others. All right, all right. So there's lots more of that to come. So you guys can just stay where you are for, for a minute. Let's thank them to start off with. Thank you. Just take a break for a moment. We'll get back with you guys in just a minute. Now, whenever I start hearing the introduction to this story, it always reminds me of one truth about God, is that God keeps his promises. We see that throughout Scripture. If you, if you read from the pages of Scripture, you see that story after story, God keeps his promises. When we look at the promises he made that we refer to as, as prophecy, and then look at some of the events that have happened throughout history, God keeps his promises. Perhaps even in your own lives, you can look and see the truth that God keeps his promises to you. Now, the book of, of, jo- of, <clears throat> excuse me, of Joshua opens up with Israel having their promise confirmed. God begins by, by repeating the promise made to Abraham hundreds of years ago to them. And now these people, the descendants of Abraham, God's people who he had this covenant with, are about to inherit the promised land because God keeps his promises. But to Joshua too, who had just been promoted from second chair to first chair, 
And God says to him in particular, he says, Joshua, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. And then he continues in his charge to Joshua in the opening verses of this book by saying repeatedly, if you will be strong and if you will be courageous. If you'll be strong, meaning if you will stand your ground, if you will be steadfast in the orders I give you, if you will not retreat, if you will keep your eye upon the prize of the promise that I have made to the nation, if you will be courageous, if you'll be brave, if you'll be determined, if you will be willing to face whatever is about to come your way and not allow the fear to defeat you. See, but God not only uses words, he also used actions to affirm these things in Joshua's life to show that his promises were true. Now, he had parted the, just as he had parted the Red Sea, he parted the Jordan to show to the nation that God was still walking with them. But then also for Joshua in particular, and personally, he has an encounter with an angel, which in itself will be absolutely awesome to walk along and then be encountering an angel. But then also the words that the angel spoke to Joshua. When, when the angel spoke to Joshua, the angel said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, where have we heard those words before? If you recall all the way back to Exodus, those are the same words that God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. So in a way, this is Joshua's burning bush moment. Where just as God had said, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. That is a promise he gave to Joshua. It wasn't just promises and words. It showed up in actions too. As Joshua now has this burning bush moment as he encounters God. And God speaks the same promises to all of us. He speaks the same thing to all of us by saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's true, because God keeps his promises. When God says something's going to happen, he keeps his word. And he has promised to always be with each and every single one of us in all places that you find yourself. Did you know that there is nowhere you can go that God is not right there beside you? In the Psalms it says, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens... You are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there you are with me, and even there you will guide me. He's with us in all places. He's with us in all circumstances. At times you may find yourself saying things like, where are you, God? Where are you at? Why don't I sense you? And we may not sense his presence in that moment, but I'd like to suggest to you that often our feelings are not a true match of the reality in which we exist. And sometimes our feelings are not evidence of God not being near us, but instead of us having wandered. Not just having wandered away from God so that we're out of reach, we're never out of reach of God, because he promised to always be with us. But perhaps wandering far enough that we have that feeling that draws our attention to the fact that we are missing his presence because we've turned from him. Now, this may give you a sense of dread, this idea that God is always with us. You mean, you mean God was there when I did, like, that thing? Yep, he was there. You mean God knows about that that I did over there that time? Yep, he knows about that too. But here's the good news about this promise that he's always with us. It's not meant to give us a sense of dread and guilt, but instead it's intended for us to be freed from that. It's intended us to propel us forward to live confidently in his presence, knowing that he will be our guide, he will provide, knowing that he is the one who protects us, he comforts us, and he is the one who will encourage us in all seasons that come ahead. Now, the appearance and the words of the angel 
was a sense of confidence builder in the life of Joshua. But it also created some huge expectations about what God was about to do in the nation of Israel and what he had in mind for the battle plan. So let's get back to our story and see what happens with that battle plan. Now the news had reached the city of Jericho that the Israelites had crossed the Jordan. They had become fearful because they heard how awesome the God of Israel was. They barred the gates so nobody could come in and out. But now I need two people for gates. Ryan? Woo! One more for a gate. Okay, we got two gates. Phil and Terry barred the gates of Jericho. (laughs) Joshua was on his way to tell the Israelites God's plan, but first he went to talk to the priests, but now I need three priests. This is Mr. Hayashi, Trevor McIsaac, Mike Pacey. Okay, two of you priests will carry the uh, Ark of the Covenant, and one of you will blow the horn. <laughs> I don't know. (laughs) This is quite the wardrobe. Sister act, yes. Okay, we have two priests that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant and one priest with the horn. <laughs> after, he, after Joshua told the priests, he then needed to tell the army, and I need two mighty soldiers. Right there. Yes, both of you. <laughs> Got two mighty soldiers. Just so if any of you are ever interested, we have a full room upstairs of costumes if you'd ever like to borrow some. (laughs) There's our first mighty soldier. There we go. Second mighty soldier. Okay, the soldiers then marched around the city gates, and the Ark of the Covenant followed behind. 
Joshua gave the command of them not to shout or talk. (laughs) (laughs) So the ark was carried around Jericho once a day, and then at the end of each march, the horn sounded... And then they return to camp now to spend the night. That way. Camp's that way. But gates stay. (laughs) All right. We'll get back to those guys again in a second. Now, I don't know what in the world was going through the mind of the Israelites during that first night when they returned back to camp. Like, they think about it. They had spent a lot of time in battle. This wasn't their first time in a battle. They knew ancient warfare tactics. They knew how to take a fortified city. They knew that the common practice was either you tunnel under it, you go through it, or you build a ramp and you go over it. But nowhere in the history and nowhere in the annals of warfare was there any talk about walking around it. That was the first time that had ever been done. Especially a city like Jericho. Like, like Jericho was considered an impenetrable city. And, and archaeologists who have worked on this site have found that, that they revealed stones that were part of the walls that were, were 11 feet high, 14 feet wide. And then on top of that, they had other stones that sloped upwards for another 35 feet. And on top of that, so we're in excess of 46 feet now, on top of that it joined other massive stone walls that towered even higher. So what in the world was walking going to do to a city that was considered impenetrable like this? Like like maybe God could have revealed a different plan, such as, Joshua, I've got this wall blaster 2000 in store for you. (laughs) But no, the plan is to just walk. So we can assume that as they're walking around the wall, even the soldiers of Jericho who are up on the walls looking down probably started to lose a little bit of their fear, I would think. Now, perhaps you've seen that VeggieTales version of this story, uh, Josh and the Big Wall. Has anyone ever seen Josh and the Big Wall? Yeah. So if you've seen that, you know that in that telling the story, they have the peas with, with French accents, reminiscent of Monty Python, who are up on top of the wall looking down at the soldiers walking around the wall. And the one French pea says, what are you doing? And then the other guy walking on the wall goes, we're going to knock down your wall. To which the P asks him, by walking? And the, and the soldier thinks about it for a second, and on the ground he goes, yes, but we're not crazy or anything. Our God told us to do it this way. So, but as you can imagine, each day thereafter, Israel faced a moment of choice. They had a choice. They could either follow what seemed foolish or they could trust in their own wisdom, and they can trust in what the world thought was the right way about doing things. God had given marching orders to us as well, and we find our marching orders in the Word of God, in the Bible. And we too face that same daily choice. We have the choice to follow what the world may say seems like foolishness, or we have a choice to follow the way of the world. And at times when we look at Scripture, it can be tough to follow those things. Because quite often, the Bible gets this reputation of being a book of don'ts. You know, don't, don't gossip, don't cuss, don't steal, don't murder, don't lie. But I think in reality, if you spend time reading the Bible, you find that there's actually a whole lot more do's than there are don'ts. There are things like do forgive, do encourage, do build up, do share the truth with people you meet, do love one another. There's an awful lot more do's than we find don'ts in the Bible. But in every single case, in every single day, we face that choice. 
We have the choice to either follow what we think makes sense or we have the choice to follow God's way. And which will we follow? Now, this is not new. Right from the very beginning of time, we see that this is the choice that is presented before people. We see that there is a choice with an apple in the Garden of Eden. We see that Abraham had a choice when he was called to leave his family and leave his land and to follow God. Moses had a choice to lead the people through the desert. The Israelites had a choice to walk around that wall or do something else. But God has always said, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And when we come to understand that, and then not just understand it, but live it out in our lives, that's actually the first step. That's the beginning of faith. To trust that God knows better than we do. When we reach those moments of decision, to trust that God knows better than we do, and to choose His way and His knowledge over our own. And here's the great thing about learning to do that and choosing to do that, is the more that we do that, the more that we start to walk by faith, the more examples we have of God showing up and keeping his promises and showing us that it is the bright way, that it is the better way. And as we have history of doing that, it gets easier each time to live our life according to God. To the point where you may start to wonder, how did I ever live apart from God beforehand? You know, Jesus talked about this too. And he very simply put it this way. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, even if they seem foolish. So God's people face this choice. And the choice they face is, will they follow their own way, or will they follow God's way, even when it seems foolish, like walking around a wall? Now back to our story. Everybody was laying down, sleeping at camp, the next morning, <laughs> even the gates, I guess. Uh, and then the rooster crowed. Audience, I need a rooster. There we go. Good job. The whole Joshua got up first the next morning. Then the whole camp got up and marched around the city again. There were the priests with the ark, the priests with the horn, the armed men, and they marched around the gates. Yep. Joshua gave them these directions. They followed these for the next five days. Six days in total. How many days do you think we've done yet? Two? Three? I think we're at four yet? Four? There we go. The trumpet's sounding. Can we be at are we, are we to five yet? No? Okay. What are we at now? Five? Okay. And we'll do six. And then they can then they can walk back to camp. They set the record for walking around a wall. All right. <laughs> you know, as if one day wasn't enough. They actually had to do this for another six days. And well, all the likely we can assume that they were incurring taunts from the soldiers on top of the wall. 
We might think that day after day they're starting to build and, and these doubts would creep into their mind, wondering how in the world is this ever going to do anything? How in the world is this ever going to work? But each day they got up, they walked, they returned to camp. They got up, they walked, they returned to camp for six days. And when I think about that dedication of that faithfulness of walking day after day, it reminds me of a wonderful book on discipleship written by Eugene Peterson, a book you may have heard of called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Some of you may have read that book before, a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which can awfully, be awfully hard for us to do if we think about our own Christian lives. More often, I, I think we're prone to be like the church in Galatia that Paul wrote a letter to, where he begins this letter by opening it, and he greets them as he typically did in his letters. But then he very quickly kind of surprises them quickly with their, their abandonment of the truth of Jesus Christ. He, he very quickly moves to ask them, why have you abandoned the truth of Christ so quickly? Why is it when the pressures of this world, when philosophies of others, when those things come up, it gets you off track? And instead of a long obedience, you actually have a brief obedience in the same direction. And then Paul holds himself up as an example. And he asks the church of Galatia, he asks them, when you look at the example I've set before you, am I seeking the approval of man or am I seeking the approval of God? You see, because if we're seeking the approval of people, we will get off track. In fact, we may tend to jump from track to track. But if we're seeking the approval of God, then we'll have a higher likelihood of us long obedience in the same direction. And that's exactly what the nation of Israel did as they walked around Jericho for seven days. And at the end of the seventh day, their faithfulness was rewarded. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn when the rooster crowed. There we go. They marched around the city seven times. Maybe we can help speed it up a little. Let's say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. On the seventh lap, the priest sounded the biggest, loudest blast of his horn. <laughs> Joshua commanded for the people to shout, the Lord has given you this city. <laughs> the people shouted, victory. victory. Come on, that's not very loud. Come on. People, there we go. The people then stormed the gate, shouting. Come on, storm the gates. And there was confetti. The gates then, the walls then crumbled to the ground. The people then shouted, hurrah! And woohoo! So the Lord was with Joshua, and the Lord's fame spread throughout the land. Okay, guys, let's, let's give them a round of applause Woo! for their... Oh. All right. You guys can head on down now. <laughs> Thanks for helping us out with that. <laughs> you guys did a great job. Yeah, head over that way. Wow. You know, when the walls came crumbling down, I'm, I'm guessing that the Israelites probably had two thoughts in their mind. Number one, how in the world did that happen? 
All we did was walk around the wall and blast a trumpet and, and yell. How in the world did that happen? But I think the second thought they probably had in their minds is, is there nothing that God cannot do? Is there nothing that God cannot do? Because the outcome absolutely exceeded the actions of what they had done. Now, you might remember back to a time in school where you were perhaps taught Newton's third law of motion. And we know what third law is. It's, it's probably you've heard it before. It's that, is that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So we see this in the world around us. For example, when we see like a fish in the water, it uses its tail to push the water. And the amount of force it pushes the water with is the amount of force it propels itself forward with. If you're at the gym lifting weights, if a weight has the number 100 on it because it weighs 100 pounds, you need to exert at least 100 pounds of force to be able to lift that. However, in God's economy, things are a little bit different. Because in God's economy, our faithfulness to him opens us up to supernatural events. For example, walking around a wall and having the walls fall down. In that case, Newton's third law doesn't quite hold up with the events having an equal Outcome, reaction coming from that. You see, there's another relationship at work here, if you will. Another law, if you will. Is that there's an uncompromising relationship between the grace of God and the faithful obedience that we place in him. The Bible says this in the book of Hebrews. It says that by faith, it says that by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. You see, in the past, the people of Israel had failed God. They, they, had, they had wandered. They had betrayed him. But this time, they were walking in obedience. This time, they were placing their trust in God. And God was true to his word because God keeps his promises. And the walls of this seemingly impenetrable city fell. And, you know, this scene can be really a metaphor for our own lives too. That all of us at one point in our lives perhaps periodically in our lives, have this tendency to wander, this tendency to be disobedient. <clears throat> and at times we can uh, replace walking with God to walking away from him. However, at moments we have ability to walk, to come back and walk with God. And when we decide to walk with him in step again, we find that his promises and his victory was there for us to have all along. Because his greatest promise is that even in the face of our rebellion, God's salvation is true for us. You see, because God made the first move. God has always made the first move. He made the first promise for us. And he made that promise even while we were still hostile towards him. So the Bible tells us one of the most popular verses around, John three sixteen, that for God so loved the world that he made the first move. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. And he did this because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't the promise. He sent his son into the world to save the world through him. See, this idea of whoever believes in him, this idea of whoever will move from a point of hostility to a point of accepting Jesus Christ can be saved. And this is a step of faith. This is a step of obedience. And that allows us to truly experience that immeasurable grace of God that we find in that relationship between our obedience and faithful walk with God and his incredible grace in our lives. Because there's an incredible and compromising relationship between those things. Now, the Lord's triumph at Jericho was a testimony to that world at that time that he is the one true living God. The one true living God whose claim is absolute 
upon all of creation. But so too, when we look at the life, at the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus' triumph over sin, death, and the world is a testimony that he is the one true living God and that he has absolute claim over all of us as well. He came and he gave his life to pay the price for our sins, to open the way that we would have the opportunity to have that relationship with God. So as we close our message today, I want to invite the worship team to come back up here. Because when we choose to receive this gift of forgiveness and this gift of love that Jesus offers to us, we have the opportunity to become children of God. It says that we come into his family. And, and that's one thing we wanted to represent here in our service today was this idea of family. But also when we choose to make that step and we choose to, to give our lives and open ourselves up to Jesus Christ, those protective walls that we may have built around different parts of ourselves, those can come crashing down as well as we allow God to come in and to cleanse us from all of that which may enslave us and to keep us apart from him. And that we can find freedom, we can find hope, we can find joy, and we can find that passion to walk in those steps of faithful obedience with him. All of us have that opportunity placed before us. All of us have a daily choice and that one big moment of initial choice where we can choose to accept or we can choose to reject this gift of forgiveness that comes. Now maybe whether you're a guest with us here today or if you're a regular attender, if you want to know more about this freedom that is possible through Jesus Christ, then, then after the service, come find me. Come find Pastor Luke and see if we can uh, have a conversation, answer any questions you may have about that. Perhaps if you've already received and made that choice to open your life up to Christ, I then want to encourage you in this final question to consider. Are you walking in obedience with Jesus Christ? It's wonderful to make that initial decision. But there's this daily choice to walk in faithful obedience with Jesus Christ? Or have we allowed the pressures and the ideas of this world to, to take us off course at times? Regardless of where you find yourself today, here's the good news. The good news is this. God is faithful. His promises are true. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of his love for you, because of the graces available to you, all of us have the opportunity to enter into a relationship with him and to walk with him through every season of life to tear down all the walls that would keep us from encountering him and to walk that long step of obedience in the same direction.